0: For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man, where is the scholar, where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So we're starting today to look
1: at uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, A lot of people tend to read the pages of the New Testament and kind of idealise what life would have been like back then. Uh, They think that generally life probably would have been an easier thing, less complicated than our lives today. Uh, The choices that people would have been faced with would have been much easier. The pace of life would have been much slower. And people could even tend to think that the Christian life would have been easier then as well, less distractions, less temptations that we had to face. Well, we start this morning looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And one of the things that we see is that life certainly wasn't easier back then. Uh, general life, or, or even more specifically, the Christian life. Being a Christian in Corinth was every bit as difficult as as being a Christian here today. In fact, I think when you read through 1 Corinthians, it becomes pretty obvious that being a Christian in Corinth was probably much harder than being a Christian here today. It wasn't that they faced persecution. In fact, it was almost the opposite problem. It was the issue of being immersed in a culture and not knowing how it was that they ought to live as Christians. It was an issue of needing to stand out from the world that they were living in not act the same way as everybody else in their society, to be distinctive in the way that they sought to follow Jesus and to be distinctive in the way that they related to each other, to not be like the world around them. Here is a church, as we read through it, that seems to have more than its fair share of problems. There is division in the church. There's quite shocking sexual immorality. Paul says that even the rest of the people in Corinth are are a bit appalled by what's happening in the church. And that was certainly saying something. There was misunderstanding about spiritual gifts. There were issues of pride and selfishness that had crept into the church. There was confusion about how it was that they were supposed to be living as Christians. But in a lot of ways, the problems that we see in Corinth, well... They're just the problems that we have in our churches today. Some of the problems in Corinth may have been a little more severe than the ones that we might have, but they're pretty much the same. Paul begins this letter, and if you've got your Bible, find chapter 1 and verse number 4. He begins it with his customary greeting. Paul always began the letter by trying to say something positive and encouraging about the church or to the church right at the very start. And this is what he says in verse 4. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Small amount of fond recollection in there, but by and large, what Paul touches on in this greeting are all of the issues that he's going to talk about in this letter. So he talks at the beginning of this letter about wisdom and knowledge, he talks about spiritual gifts, he talks about the return of Jesus. He talks about living a blameless life and living together as followers of Jesus. All the big issues for his letter have already been announced in this opening paragraph. But then he gets right down to what he sees as being one of the biggest problems in the church. And it's this issue of division and the pride that follows along with it. Now, at first glance, I've got to say, this is a little difficult for us to understand because Paul says that there are some in the church in Corinth who are saying, I follow Paul, and others who are saying, I follow Apollos. And it seems seems quite strange to our ears. But I think we can actually have that kind of divisiveness among Christians today. You'll hear people who'll say, oh, well, I was converted under the ministry of so-and-so, or I've been involved with such-and-such a church or such-and-such a group. Or I've been very highly influenced by the teaching of so-and-so. And And often when people are saying those sorts of things, they're drawing a line. And they're wanting to say, well, I'm clearly more spiritual than you because I became a Christian through the ministry of this person. Or I'm clearly more mature than you because I've been involved with this group or this organisation. They want to say that in some way their experience puts them just a step ahead of where it is that you're obviously at. And that seems to be what's happening in Corinth. This pride seems to have plagued the Corinthians. They want to hold up their, special, their, their spiritual pedigree and they want to lord it over other Christians within their own church. They want to say, well, I was converted through Paul's ministry. And others are saying, well, I was converted by Apollos. It was an issue of pride and they were getting sucked in to a very worldly way of thinking about things. They were becoming proud and slipping into the same kind of thinking in the city of Corinth around them. They were measuring each other by Corinthian standards rather than by godly standards. And the church was divided. Paul gets to the very heart of it He wants to say that they're divided because they've taken their eyes off Jesus. They've taken their eyes off the gospel message that saved them and focused them somewhere else instead. God no doubt raises up good Bible teachers who can have a significant impact in your life. But when those people become your rallying point or when those people become the source of division among Christians, then you need to take great care. See, Paul mocks that whole idea of I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Look at what he says in verse number 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? And the answer is, of course you were. It's Christ who died. And it's Christ that you follow. The pride, the the spiritual and worldly pride that seems to be here in Corinth was a major issue. And Paul sees it as his job to knock them down to size. And he spends really the first four chapters of this letter trying to humble these people, helping them to realise that what they're putting their pride in is the wrong thing. And they need to repent of that and they need to place their trust in Jesus. And he rebukes them in, in the way that only a friend can. Um, you've got the Bible there. Look at verse number 26. Look at what he says. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called, that is, when you became Christians. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. I mean, he's, he's saying, I mean, let's face it. The world was never going to be impressed by you, was it? It's quite brutal, isn't it? Quite honest, the way that he does this. And and as I said, in in a way that only a friend could get away with. I mean, it's one of those things that a friend can say, gee, it looks like you put on a bit of weight. Is that right? I mean, only a, a close friend could get away with that kind of a comment. He's saying, think about what you were when you got converted. Think about what you were when you became Christians. You weren't living the impressive life in Corinth. You weren't that significant. How had the Corinthians come to know God? How was it that they were made right with God because they were clever, popular, successful, powerful? No, they came to this foolish message of the cross. They came to believe this foolish, weak message about Jesus. Paul wants to remind them why it is that they are right with God. And it's only because of what God has done for them. Their standing in God's eyes is not the same as their standing in the eyes of other Corinthians. In fact, God works things in a rather upside down way. Go back to chapter 1, and verse number 18. He says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. You know the experience. we talked about this before. They're choosing the teams for sport. Two captains standing up the front. Who are they going to choose? They're going to choose the agile ones, the ones who are quick, the ones who have the skill that can be used for that game. Who is it that won't get picked? Well, it'll be the ones who are not quite so agile the ones who perhaps are a little more overweight. or Paul says the Corinthians have got things a little bit confused with God. They've misunderstood God's selection criteria for the team that he's picked because his is almost an upside-down process. Jesus is the captain, and the first kids that he picks are the slow kids and the fat kids. That's what he's telling them here, isn't it? And he's done it on purpose. He wants to show that your selection process is looking at things all the wrong way around. He wants to show that winning is about what God has done, not about what we do. Go back to the opening words of the letter. Verse number four, this fond reminiscence from Paul. Did you notice that even there he doesn't talk about the Corinthians? He talks about what God has done for the Corinthians. What he's saying is, what I love most of all about you is what God has done for you. No quality in you that I find particularly admirable, but gee, I'm thrilled with what it is that God has done in you. He doesn't praise them for their achievements. He praises God for what it is that he has done with them. It's all about God being gracious, God having blessed them. That's why when he gets down to verse number 31, he says, you've got nothing to boast in. Other than what God has done for you in Jesus. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So God has chosen a foolish and a weak thing to shame the way that the world thinks. I mean, the message of the cross could hardly seem more foolish I have to confess, I have found myself on occasion standing talking with someone about what it is that I believe is a Christian, someone who's not a Christian, and you're trying to explain to them, and then all of a sudden this thought goes through your head, are you seriously trying to tell this person that a 33-year-old carpenter in Israel 2,000 years ago is the saviour of the world? Are you really trying to tell them that? Because it does sound like such a foolish message, doesn't it? this Jewish carpenter who dies on a Roman cross pays for the sins of the world. And the message of the cross, well, it couldn't look any more weak, could it? That you win by dying. That your victory comes through your enemies nailing your hands to a piece of timber. But that's the way that God's at work in the world. That's the message that Paul's preached and that's the message that the Corinthians have believed. We can fall into the same trap as the Corinthians, I think, thinking that it's the strong, wise, powerful things, that they're the admirable and desirable things in our world. But Paul says, verse 30, it is because of him, God that is, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us Wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Corinth was one of those cities because of its size and because of its cosmopolitan nature and because of the the people who would have been travelling through there. All of the great orators of the day would have been to Corinth. They would have spoken there. The people in Corinth would have heard some pretty persuasive speakers. And throughout history there have been some. Some who've managed to sway whole nations. Here's a face that you might recognise, recognised as being one of the greatest orators in the last century. Managed to take a whole country with him. A brilliant speaker who was able to tap into where people were at and communicate with them in a way that they would understand and be convinced by. A face that you might not recognise quite so well, this is Mr James Jones, who ended up taking his church, he was a Methodist minister originally, ended up taking his church, his whole congregation, uh, close to a thousand people, down to Jonestown, Guyana, and managed to convince them all to drink poison. Now, you've got to be some kind of an orator to be able to do that, haven't you? That doesn't just happen because people were kind of mildly convinced about what you said. The problem with these men was that they were so persuasive, such good speakers, that they appeared to be wise. It seemed to make sense to the German people to go to war with the rest of the world. It seemed to make sense to the people as they stood there in their compound in Guyana to drink that poison. And it seems that the Corinthians have been exposed to some pretty powerful people as well. People who have that mastery of words. Well, Paul tells them that they need to trust God's power. From our reading before, chapter 2, verse number 4, Paul says this. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. But with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now don't misunderstand what he's saying there about the Spirit's power. He's not talking about miraculous events. He's not talking about signs and wonders that were performed. He's talking about the power that the gospel has to change people's lives. It's a message that's powerful, powerful to save, powerful to bring you into a relationship with God, powerful to transform your life. And they didn't believe it because Paul was persuasive. They didn't believe it because it was wrapped in the latest wisdom. They believed it because the Spirit opened their eyes to see the truth about who Jesus was and left them with no option but to believe. See, in the end, the only thing that can bring someone to believe in God is what God does by his Holy Spirit. Jump down to verse number 12, chapter 2. Look at what Paul says. We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. In the end, it's God's spirit that enables you to see beyond the foolishness of the cross. It's God's spirit that enables you to see beyond the weakness of the cross and be able to see the truth about God. 1 Corinthians is one of those interesting letters in the New Testament because it covers such an enormous range of topics. Some of Paul's letters are really only addressing one issue, but 1 Corinthians, there's a whole plethora of things that we're going to look at here in this book. The Christians in Corinth needed to make sure that their lives were lived in a relationship with God, that they weren't influenced solely by the culture that was around them. See, they lived in a culture where people prized things like possessions and power and status and money and that kind of thinking had crept into the church. They were claiming status and position and power and spiritual gifts. They lived in a culture where they worshipped sex and that was creeping into the church. They lived in a culture where people applauded wisdom that thinking is creeping into the church and they're divided by who it is that they should listen to, who it is that they should follow but it's not just churches in Corinth and Greek culture is it? I mean we face the same issues today don't we? We live in a world that prizes position and power and that kind of thinking can creep into our church we live in a world that worships sex And that kind of thinking can creep into our church as well. We can live in a world that applauds wisdom and great oratory. And that kind of thinking can creep into our church. And we need to make sure that we just critique the culture that we're a part of. (laughs) See, we live in a world where Anthony Robbins seminars almost have a church-like flavour about them. And we've got churches that look more like Anthony Robbins-type seminars. So the thinking of our world can very easily make its way into our church. We can end up adopting what we think are desirable attitudes from our world when in fact we need to be ready to just believe the foolishness and the weakness of the cross. And we need to make sure that we don't let those lines get blurred. We live facing the same issues as the people in Corinth. That constant temptation to sculpt the message of Christianity to fit to the prevailing wisdom of the day. And we need to make sure that we don't reshape the message but continue to believe what it was that Paul was preaching. We need to critique our culture. We don't need to fear it, but we've better not unthinkingly embrace it either. We need to keep remembering what Paul said to the Corinthians. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord.